0: Bible study this evening, I'd just like to share a thought with you, um, something the Lord has laid upon my heart for the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> the book of John, the book of John tonight in chapter 11, the book of John chapter 11, yeah, I've got to turn it off. You can grab your Bibles and turn to the book of John. Verse 11 says this in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It says here in verse 2, And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. In verse 3, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And the Lord's really just impressed on my heart to preach this evening. It's simply um, lessons leading to the miracle of Lazarus. Lessons leading up to the miracle of Lazarus. Or if you like um, cool titles, I have this sign. Um, but it's dead. But it's dead. And the thought is, I, I guess, as we were driving in, in, in America, we were had the opportunity to see different parts of of the states. And obviously, America is this beautiful country, beautiful people, we're down in the south in Alabama. And they consider that place the Bible Belt. And I didn't really understand what that meant until I got there. And from from driving from the airport to the house, um, we hit some traffic. And we hit some traffic and it was supposed to be a 35 minute drive. It took us about two hours and a bit. And so we were just driving there, me and my, um, my now brother-in-law, Brother Alan, and we were just having a chat in regards to the, the environment that he lives in in regards to the scriptures. And he'd, he'd say something like this, very similar, he'd say, um, you know, a lot of people here know about the gospel. They've heard the gospel growing up. And I said, oh, yeah, that's great, you know, people hear about the gospel everywhere, right, and we began driving and I've been, I started noticing a lot of Baptist churches just everywhere. We would drive and, and I'd see one on the right and I'll see one on the left and then I'll see a Baptist church on top of a Baptist church. It was, it was a strange sight. It was like one was on the hill, one was on the, not on the hill, it was on the bottom. And you could see two different churches on the one side of the road. And then you'd drive a little bit further and you'd find... Uh, little Baptist churches, just, they're not the big ones that we're used to seeing. You see little churches that have about 15, 20 people. I began speaking to a, a, a man that I, I just met. He was actually a deacon of a church, and he was such a blessing to us. And f- through him, we had opportunities to preach in, in Alabama, and I I'd never thought I'd ever preach in, in the States. Um, I had an opportunity to preach to this church, and, and the people were so lovely. But I asked them, I said, so how long have you been in this church? And they'd say, you know, we're probably about the third, fourth generation. Same people, same family, same size church. And I thought to myself, I don't know how to, how do, how do you, how do you take that? Is that, is that a good thing? Uh, it's consistent, right? Um, they, they're maintaining and then I asked him, so how do, you, how do you go out and tell people about Jesus? And they turned around to me, and he said, you know, EJ, it's, they're like a sponge. And here in Alabama, in this area, the sponge is full. You try to give him as much gospel as you want, but he just trickles down. And you know, that grieved my heart. Why? Because it's the truth of the gospel cannot penetrate the hearts of those that live with it. And in the passage that we just read, a familiar passage for all of us, we have to understand the context in which what, has, what is going to happen, what is just, going to, just about to happen. And here we have Jesus Christ sitting with his disciples and some messengers come unto him. And they say this to him in verse 3. It says, there, Therefore his, uh, his sisters, that's Lazarus' sisters, sent him, unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. He whom thou lovest is sick. If you notice in the book of John, the, one of the main themes of the book is, is, is love. For God so loved the world. And you'll find that throughout the whole book, he, he would associate a relationship, not just a mere acquaintance, but someone that they, a term of endearment, a term of, of love. And the implication as John wrote these scriptures is simply this, is that Jesus Christ, you've, you've healed people that you've never met before. You, you've done some great miracles of, of people that, that lay on the side of the road and you just spoke to them. There's miracles that you've done where you've held their ears and you spat on their tongue and, and for some reason their, deaf, their deafness and their dumbness were loosed and now they're healed again. Jesus, you've done this for other people. This person... Lazarus is someone that you love. You love this person, Jesus, and Jesus wasn't um, foreign to Bethany. You, we know through Scripture that Jesus went there multiple times. He actually was there um, later on in the, in the, in the next next uh, in chapter 12. What you find is again, Jesus Christ knew where it was. He's been there before. They were together in this. But let's notice a couple of things in this verse. And the first point for us tonight is simply this. There was a call for the right person. There was a call for the right person. It says this in verse 4. John chapter 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. We, we, have, we have this tendency as, as Christians, as we read the scriptures, we we often shift to to see that little title that says the the, the raising of Lazarus. And what we fail to see are these little comments that were made by Jesus Christ. And he says, the sickness is not unto death. Let me ask you a question tonight. Did Lazarus die? Yes or no? He sure did. Lazarus was fully dead. It it wasn't even just a little coma dead. It wasn't even like a last 15 minutes or 12 minutes dead. It was four days dead. To the point where the sister, even later on, we'll learn, we'll learn of it a little bit later, the sister actually turned to Jesus and said, let's be realistic here, Jesus. He wasn't in a refrigerator. He's dead, and he stinks, and now it's not a good thing to open that, that, that tomb. You understand, when Jesus made this statement, he knew Lazarus was going to die. But let me remind you, Jesus Christ saw past that. Jesus Christ saw that Lazarus will live again. So the ultimate, the ultimate end to Lazarus wasn't death. It was life. Isn't that great? You say, well, what's the big deal about this, Brother EJ? And, I, I, and, and, and this is where, really where I'm trying to steer at tonight. Sometimes we, we, we ourselves say that that's dead, that's enough. There, there's no more hope in that person. There's, there's no more chance for that person to ever get saved. Or there'll never be a chance for that person to, to get back on track and, and love Jesus again and, and have a, a wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. And it are so easy to get that sign of deceased and put it on someone's face. But let me remind you tonight, Jesus Christ, when he heard those words, the fact that he was nigh unto death, he said, no, no, he's not going to die. He perceived something And the call was to the right person, Jesus Christ. The call was to the right person. You see, in the the end of verse 4, it says this, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Understand the context. Jesus Christ was speaking to those that came. He was speaking to the disciples. And it would have been other people standing on the side and saying, okay, let me listen to you, Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ will say." And he said this, that the Son of God might be glorified. In John chapter 9, verse 3. In John chapter 9, verse 3, there's a similar context, a similar story that happens. And it talked about a man that, was, that was, had, a, had, a, had an informity, deformity. Let's turn there. John chapter 9, verse 3. It says this in verse 2. Um, so there was a blind man in verse 1, and uh, he was blind from birth. In verse 2, his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, or he was born blind, that he was born blind? And so the context in what Jesus Christ just said in, in, in chapter 11 was to reiterate the fact that just because someone is in a, someone's in a bind, someone is in a distress Someone is in a, in a position where it's not happy and it's not pleasant does not mean that they have done something wrong. Understand that. It merely, it, it merely is used, as he says there in, the verse, in verse 3 of chapter, of chapter 9, it says, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The reason why he's born blind was for my purpose. And so when they called Jesus Christ, they said to him, Jesus, this is the person, uh, Lazarus, that you love. So you need to do something about him. And and he he turns around and says, you know, it's not nigh unto death. It's just going to pass. Don't worry about that. And they didn't understand what he was saying. But we continue on, the compassion of Jesus Christ, the compassion of Jesus Christ. John chapter 11, verse 5 says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. And for us, that that is a waste of space, right? But as we delve into the lessons leading up to the miracle of Lazarus, we find that this, this verse is quite pivotal. Why? Because the next couple of verses actually portray Jesus Christ to not care. The next couple of verses that you're about to read shows that it, it might portray Jesus Christ as, as someone that says, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to happen, whatever. But John made sure that the readers 2,000 years later understand that Jesus Christ loves them. Jesus Christ loves what they're going through and how they're going through it. He cares about them. And so there's this plant that my wife bought from Bunny. And um, it wasn't in the nice area where all the nice trees are. It was in one of these other areas where there's, like a, there's a yellow box around it, okay? If you, put up your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Some people, okay, smart ones. They, um, there's this, this yellow box, and inside the yellow box is what they do is they, they get a tree that it's dying. They get a tree that is, that is, that is almost dead. And they target mothers. They have a couple of dollars in their pocket. And what that, that tree is supposed to be worth $35. But when it gets to that square box in, at Bunnings, it gets down to $5. And if it gets really bad, it gets down to $2. And the tree is a beautiful tree, and you have the picture of it. You know, it's nice and green and fertile. And it's this, this <laughs> sad excuse for a tree. And I remember my wife walking in with this, this tree that she found for how much was it, babe? Three bucks. Three bucks and she, she brought it into the house and I felt sick. I said that $3 could have went through a, a cheeseburger. That, that $3 could have had a lot of soft serve cones. But you just, you bought this tree. And I looked at the tree and it, I kid you not, it wasn't, it wasn't even, didn't have any leaves. It was just a twig in, in it was a twig in the soil. And I thought to myself, what do I do as a husband, a loving husband? And, and she goes, oh, I'm going to take care of it, and I'm going to water it, and I'm going to water it, but it's dead. Why waste the time? Why, why even care? You know, you can, you can afford a better tree. It's not like we're, 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 you know, it's not that difficult in life. You can go find a tree that's worth $15. You can go to Gumtree, or you can go to Facebook, and find a better tree. Why, why strive for this one? And the interesting thought that, as I watched my wife, day after day, put a little bit of, put a little bit of water in that twig and see a, like a sliver of green, a sliver of green. And you know what she'd do every week, she'd, she'd, she'd snap a branch, okay? That, that <laughs> she'd snap a branch to make sure it's not dead. And so she snaps a branch and inside it's green. Okay? You say, what's the point? This is, what, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this, is that sometimes we have issues in our life that we already said to God, God, you can't even work through this, and I'm just going to put it to the side. We've we already given up on things in our life, and we've already given up on things that, that are supposed to be consistent in our life, like reading your Bible, and you say to yourself, you know what? I, I'm human anyway, so I, I can't read my Bible every day, so I, I'm just going to give up on it. And what we've done is we've haven't gone to the person that can make a difference and called upon him to help us. We've gone down to a, a position where we got the deceased sign and you just put it there and said, you know what, this area of my relationship with my child is, is, is a no-go zone for you now, God, because you can't even do anything about it. And what I'm trying to show you is that though the, the grand miracle happened in the end, in verse 44, there were many truths that Jesus Christ wasn't showing to, to Mary and Martha. He was showing it to the disciples. Later on in the passage, what we'll read next is that his compassion caused clarity. His compassion caused clarity. So the, they called the right person, and Jesus' um, Jesus's compassion caused clarity. In verse 5, let's continue on. And now Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. You notice what I was saying about verse 5? Um, verse it's important that it's there. The Lord knows. In verse 7, and after this, he said, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And for us, if you haven't studied this chapter of the Scriptures, you have to study it chronologically. What you find previously to this chapter is that Jesus Christ and his disciples were thrust out of Judea. The people in Judea didn't like Jesus Christ. The people in Judea rejected Jesus Christ. They almost wanted to kill Jesus Christ. And as he said that, the, the disciples' ears perked up. And it says this in, 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 in verse 8, His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late, those recent, sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. The disciples' mentality is the ones that we often take for granted, and we, we, we're, the, we're almost like the disciples sometimes. I'm almost like the disciples sometimes where, where it's not logical to go down that path. Jesus, um, what you said there was important. I understand you want to go back to Judea, but it is not logical. My mind cannot comprehend the reason why you're doing that. Why? Because I know that it's doomed. Have you been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you thought everything is just going to fall apart? Have you ever been bankrupt? Have you ever looked at your bank account and saw nothing? And so you ask yourself, wow, you ask yourself, "It it doesn't make sense why I should tithe. And so do you know what we do? We stop tithing. And I'm not saying you stop tithing. I'm saying I I, and all of us decide to stop tithing. Why? Because this doesn't seem reasonable. God, God, you, um, you're the provider for my tithe, and so if you don't provide for the tithe, I don't need to give it. Have you ever been there? Let's just be honest. And there's times in our life where we as the disciples turn around and look at Jesus and say, that doesn't make any sense. But his compassion He says, compassion exceeds logical thinking. Jesus Christ's compassion exceeds logical thinking. And you say, oh, but you have to count the cost. I understand that concept. But there's a thing called sacrifice in the Bible. And when we're given what God just tells us to give and there is no sacrifice, does does that please him? Well, it does because, what, what I'm trying to say is this. When there's no sacrifice, there's no faith. And it hurts. Why? Because we expect our life to to get better because God is blessing us with all these tremendous blessings. But maybe, just maybe, God's, God's touched your heart to say, hey, let's increase your tithe. Let's increase your sacrificial offering. And you know what we say? I can't do that. And it hurts. Why? Because I have to go watch a movie. And that is more important than giving to you. Why? Because because my time is far more important to go out and tell people about Jesus. And the the danger is that we fail to see what Jesus Christ sees. And he says, turns around and says, Let's go back to Judea. And his disciples is entrenched in that concept. We go to Judea, we're dead. We go to Judea, we're dead. And you can see it in the responses that that follow on. See, they called the right person. And Jesus' compassion exceeded logical thinking. But also the compassion that Jesus Christ provided gave the disciples clarity. Well, it should have gave them clarity. In verse 8, John chapter 11, verse 8. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee and goest thou thither again. And Jesus answers, answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. And basically what he's saying to the disciples, I know more than you, I am the light. And so let's just follow me. We'll keep going. By faith. It says here, in verse 11, These things said he, and after he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. And again, this is a passage of scriptures I often, I often laugh at, I giggle at. So why, why are you giggling about this? Because Lazarus is actually dead. By the time the, the, the messengers came to Jesus, he's already passed away. And so when Jesus made this statement, He says, "He sleepeth. Yeah, he he sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of his sleep." Verse twelve. Then said his disciples, "Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well." Isn't that great? But Jesus, if he's resting, that's a good thing. It's it's a good thing that he's asleep, Jesus. It says this. Howbeit, Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. In verse 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, "Lazarus is dead." And by this time, you'd think the disciples would turn around and associate those words and say, "You know what? Lazarus is dead? We'll praise the Lord. I'll tell you why? Because we saw him do it with, with Jairus' daughter. We saw him raise the dead with, with Jairus, his daughter. We, we saw him raise the dead at, at, at Nain with the widow's, widow's son. And as he, as he touched the bar, I remember seeing Jesus Christ um, raise that, that young boy and, and give that boy to, back to the widow's uh, widow. And we look at that and as, as Bible believers, as we read the Scriptures, we know that that's the response that you should give. Their response should have been, great, let's go, let's, let's, let's wake him up, let's, let's raise him from the dead so that people will be drawn closer to you, Jesus Christ. Let's do something great. But do you know what they did? Instead of seeing it the way Jesus Christ saw it, they saw it in their own sight, in their own mind, in their own understanding. And this is the response that Jesus Christ gets. Then said Thomas. Which is, uh, which is called Didymus, which means twin, unto his fellow disciples, let us go also, let us also go, that we may die with him. Their mind was still back to the fact that Judea wanted to kill Jesus Christ. They, their mind was still back there where, where they wanted to stone Jesus for what he said, saying that he was God their minds still remained in the past and failed to see the path that Jesus Christ was etching for them. Hey, the reason why I'm going back to Judea is not for you. Though he actually says it's for them. Anyways. It's for Lazarus. Not the fact that you're going to die. The fact that someone else will live. And what I'm trying to stress at tonight is that we need to take a step back sometimes. Sometimes and look at the bigger picture and say, God, is this what you want for us? God, am I I willing to trust? And you say inside your heart, no, I'm not. Then why not? You know, there are people here tonight that want the best for the church. There are people here tonight that pray for you and your family by name. I know that for a fact. There are people here tonight that desire God's best for your life. But if all you're doing is looking at the past and saying, oh, no, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to go anywhere, it's just going to die, then what's going to happen is that you're going to get left behind. I'm sorry, that's what happens. And Jesus Christ does not wait for men. He, he instigates. That's what's so beautiful about God. Have you ever noticed that? In, in, in the book of Genesis, G, uh, God God instigates everything. In the beginning, God created. You, you notice in the book of Genesis, in, 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 chapter, in chapter 2, he says, let us make man in our own image. You notice how God instigated that? Do you, know the, you notice how God changed. turned around and said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Let us make him a, a help meet. That wasn't the man turning to God and saying, God, I, I think this is what I need. No, God says, this is my plan. And this is what I will provide. And this is where I'm getting at church. The leader of the church is not a person. It shouldn't be. It's God. Do you know what will solidify your heart? It's not that if you trust a person, no, no, it's not about that. It's about trusting God. And instead of putting deceased on everything, because it's not from America. Let me say that again. Just because it's not from America doesn't mean it's wrong. Have a passion for your, your countrymen. I looked at the states, and I, I'm so glad for what God has done there. But church, let's do something here. And you know what? God has done something here. And he will continue to. Why? L- last week, we saw seven people saved. They say, oh, but that's nothing compared to Mexico, where there was 3,000 that were saved this week. Ah, same God. God gets the increase. And so if God's given you this little morsel, you know what you do with that little morsel? You, you invest it. You make sure it's great. And, and, you, and you, you, you put your heart into it. And you want to see it grow. And, and, and you desire the best for it. And someone over there might have a loaf of bread. But you don't care about what they have. You, you care about what you have. And you, you're trying to grow this thing. So, so that when, you, when the man comes back, Say so here, it's my talent. I have grown this. And I did not complain the fact that I didn't get six or five or ten or 15. I was okay with the two. Our mindset needs to shift. Why? For the glory of God. The miracle hadn't even happened yet. Lazarus wasn't out of the grave yet. But Jesus Christ was trying to change their mindset to say, Stop looking at things from your perspective. See it from mine. I, um, as you know, I, I, I study every day. And it's interesting. When, when you have a lot of things due, that's when God requires the most from you. I was learning from uh, Pastor Kerry Schmidt this week. and Talked about leadership. It spoke to me about the fact that people care. People care because they care about God. And as a leader, we we ought to desire that our people get closer to God. So, my my desire for you is not to like me. My desire for you is to start liking God, start loving God, start caring about what He cares about. And do you know what's going to happen? If I'm following God, if I'm, if I'm loving God, if I'm, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, do you know what? We're going to converge together. And there is no arm twisting. And, and there, there is no explanation. Why? Because, because God's working in your heart as he works in mine. Does that make sense? And it's a, it's a concept that I, I, was, I was just meditating about. How oftentimes us leaders want to steamroll other people, to force them to do things that we want them to do that's not how god planned it that's not how god worked but jesus christ didn't stand still through through his conversation he actually gets up and he goes and i want to show you this last thing i know it's been a long time Um, i'm i'm almost finished In verse 17, John chapter 11, verse 17, it says this. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had had lain in the grave four days already. For two days he sat there, knowing that Lazarus was dead. And within those two days, he was trying to shift the the mindset of the disciples. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to wake him up out of his sleep. I'm going to raise him from the dead. That sign is for people to see that I am the resurrection from the dead. It's true. See, the miracle didn't uh, validate, the miracle validated the message. The message didn't validate the miracle. Does that make sense? When Jesus Christ did a miracle, it was for that miracle to validate something he said, or something he is. And so we'll see what he actually said about himself. In verse 25 it says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? No, let me ask you that question. Do you believe that I can do you, do you believe that God can? Because He sure can. Do you know that relationship that's, that's broken to pieces right now? God can restore that. But if you, don't, if you don't move, if you don't apply, what do you expect from it? It says this, Martha says this, and turns around to, to Him. She saith unto Him, Yea, Lord, I believe that Thou, the Christ." He is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is the Messiah, which should come into the world. And when she said, had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. And I'm going to stop there tonight, but I want us to understand this last point. That the timing of Jesus was perfect the timing of Jesus was perfect. When the messengers came, Lazarus died. When he went, the body had already been laid in the ground for four days. That means the, the a procession where that body is, is carried from outside of the, 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 from the city walls outside the gates and as that body is, is sort of in, like, this basket. They get to the place of burial, and, and the people, the mourners, will, will go around that, that body seven times. And whilst they're, 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 they're going around that body seven times, they chant Psalms 90. And whilst that's happening, people are wailing, people are crying, and, and as the body is placed into the tomb, it's not finished yet. By the way... Um, Long story, but, but the burial of an individual almost lasted a year. Don't believe me. Have a research. See that. And um, interesting concept for, for the future. But that body was placed inside the tomb. They closed the tomb up, and they would go back to their house, and they would sit on the floor with no shoes on, and, and, and they would put soil on their heads as a sign of mourning. So when Jesus Christ came, All of that has already been done. But Jesus Christ wasn't finished. His timing was perfect. And we know the end of the story. They say, hey, um, roll away the stone. Martha objects. And he calls Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus bounces out. Here's the last point for us simply this. That which was dead, with God's help, will have hope again. But who had to roll away the stone? Who loosened him from his bondage? People. People that were obedient. People that said, you know what, four days, he stinketh. No, I'm not finished with him. Roll away the stone. I don't understand it. I'm going to do it. I don't to touch a dead body. Do you know what that means? That's seven days I can't see my, my, my family. That's seven days I have to wait until I'm purified. That's seven days until I have to go back to the, to, to the priest so I can get a, a validation that I'm no longer dirty, unclean. I don't want to touch a dead body. Do you know what? They did. And Jesus did something great. And, and that pivotal moment of, of that miracle of Jesus Christ and the raising of Lazarus, it split the Jewish community in two. After this, after this miracle, there's people that believed and there were people that turned around and they went to the, to the Sanhedrin and now there's a death warrant on Jesus Christ. That's what happened when Jesus Christ did this great miracle. And that happens today. There will be people that say nay. There will be people that that disagree, And, and rightly so, maybe. But if God has clearly designed that for you, you pursue, you follow. Why? Because if they're in tune with God, as you are in tune with God, you meet together. It's not dead. He sleepeth. God's not finished with whatever it may be. You know, I thought that I would never have to go to Bible college. But do you know what? There is not a day that I go by that goes by that I'm not happy that I went to Bible college, and yet I'm going right now. Why? Because I had this perception. It's like one of these things, right? But when God allows that to be put aside for a bit, you start seeing that, hey, God can use me a little bit more. And it's okay. I will never hinder someone that desires to go to Bible college or desires to do something great for the Lord. I would commend you for it. But let me share this to you. Don't give up on that. If God has called you to preach, don't give up on that. Don't blame your circumstances. Don't give up on that. If, if, if God has called you to do something other than what you're doing now, you'll never have peace, you'll never have joy until you follow God's will. So stop wasting your time. <laughs> it be crazy, isn't it? I got back from the States, and you know what that tree is in our backyard? When we left from the States, it was, it was luscious green. Today, oh, yesterday, we had a discussion. All the leaves fell off again. And it's back to the twig. Do we keep it? Or do we continue to let it grow? And let it bud. And yeah, it might, it might fall off again next winter because it's deciduous. But it has a purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, I I pray, Lord, that you just use your word to speak to the hearts of your people. And I thank you again just for allowing me to stand up and preach. Lord, help us never to forget that you're the reason why we do what we do. Help our focus be on you. Help our relationships entwine with your desires and your wants. Lord, help us to just follow really follow what you want us to do with our life. So I pray that you just bless our church. Thank you, Lord, for the tremendous things you've been doing through us and through our members. Lord, I know that there are many members here that do many things. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one of them. I pray that you bless them, bless their families. I ask, Lord, that you just protect us tonight. And bless the remainder of tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.